0: This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media where we grab a drink with the people who develop, sell, buy and shape New York City real estate. I'm Miriam Hall, BizNow's New York reporter. Today we're having a herbal tea with the founder of Heritage Equity Partners, Toby Moskowitz, at the Williamsburg Hotel on Wythe Avenue. After a career in private equity and venture capital, Toby founded Heritage in 2008, at a time when most people considered real estate a pretty bad place to be. At first, the plan was to give advice on investments, but the focus soon switched to development. Some of her undertakings include the mixed-use project The Bushwick Generator and the Williamsburg Hotel, where we're meeting today. She also co-developed 25 Kent, which is the first major new office
1: building in Williamsburg in around five decades. I think it must have been in 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, I was at the One Brooklyn Conference and I sat on this panel with other developers. They all were saying, we're in contract, we're thinking, we're about to. And I started rattling off. At that point, I owned three sites and I was in contract on a piece on three ten Seventh and the Williamsburg Hotel. And... They were looking at me like, who are you and where do you come from? And I'm like, well, when between 2009 and 2012, when you were all complaining about the lack of financing and the state of the market, I was hustling. So (laughs) here I am. But it it was sort of a pivotal moment. I'm like, OK, I am a developer. In
0: 2012, Toby bought the site for what is now the ground-up office development, 25 Kent. It was an ambitious project. For starters, no one had built an office building in the area from scratch for a really long time. And she had to get a rezoning from the city council for extra office space. Philadelphia-based Rubenstein Partners joined the project in 2015, but they still had to convince lenders and without a single committed office tenant, that was a pretty tall order. But they locked down an almost $200 million loan in 2016 and they were able to start construction. The half a million square foot building is now pretty much complete
1: and at the time of this recording, there haven't been any announced leases. So we, we actually um, closed in December of 2012. Okay. Um, the original price was about $32 million. Really, almost nothing had traded in that, in what we now call the White Avenue district in quite some time. It was mostly filled with semi-utilised buildings. Um, some of them were still had industry, but a lot of them were owners that were waiting, trying to see what would happen next. And the original idea was to go ahead and put up a two-story warehouse with open plan space. Um, And as I started to explore and speak to people in the community um, and some of the local politicians, I recognized that there was a, a willingness to think a little more broadly and try to envision a future of Williamsburg as a neighborhood to both live, play, and work, and came up with the idea for the rezoning. Um, and found initially a little bit of skepticism from the Department of City Planning because a lot of people would come with big ideas and then come back later and either do a bait-and-switch and say, okay, commercial won't work, give us residential, or really waste a lot of city resource and not follow through and build a project.
0: So were people telling so, you you were crazy to, to do this?
1: Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It took, a, it took a lot of effort to, to convince you know, people in the community, Department of City Planning um, and the city government that we, I was real and that there was even demand. Um, and then in middle of this process, Jamestown um, partnered with the Schroen and the Taylor family to buy into Industry City. And that really helped, we'll call it, you know, it, it added some credibility to the voice that we were telling the city of New York, which is people want to live in this borough. But I had never built commercial before. I wasn't a landlord, and here you had a pretty significant player that had done adaptive reuse um, in, in their home market in Atlanta, come and put a lot of money behind that.
0: So they gave it kind of that that strength, that name brand. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that yeah, belief. all of a sudden, maybe I
1: wasn't crazy.
0: How did you raise the money though for for the project to buy the site?
1: So you know, the original purchase, we got very lucky. <laughs> There's a, a gentleman by the name of Gabe Boyer who has since become a friend who helped. Arrange a loan from a wealthy family that somehow believed in my story. It would have been impossible to get a bank to fund us. There was no comp. You know, a comp means that some other crazy person did it before me. There wasn't really a you clear market. Yes, yeah, exactly. You were the comp. There also wasn't yet a clear market. So, you know, we sold a vision that was rational, but in the banking industry, rational doesn't help. You proof. So I got lucky that people believed in my vision believe that I could execute um, and then you know ultimately we, we pay them out um, we were the first ground-up planned ground-up speculative office building in the borough since the 1940s so you know we took a huge amount of risk no one had ever built a ground-up speculative building without tenants before
0: and there's a reason for that right there's it's a reason for scary. that. scary <laughs> you must have an in- incredibly strong will
1: I think that's a, that's a big part of it, and you know, I think to be able to do something difficult like this, it it's requires fortitude, it requires commitment, and it requires an ability to sometimes drown out the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in an, in, in, lucky enough to be doing something that I love. You know, inherent in my job is, is taking risk. When you take risk, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, And when it doesn't, you need to figure out how to make it work the second time around. I've heard this analogy, if you got up in the morning and you needed to drive somewhere and you thought about every red light you might hit, you wouldn't even get in your car. So, you know, to deal with pressure and to be able to deal with adversity, you need to think about the next step, the next goal, you know, get there and not worry about every other step. You know, when we started in 25 Kent, I had a whole list of things I had to do. I had to get rid of my tenant, find them a new space, which we did in with really hard. We had to figure out the use of the site. You know, then I had to go ahead and convince the city to give me zoning. And At every step I thought about what, ne- what came next and-, and all the risks and then the, the risk on the lease up. I never would have started down that path. And I think to be successful, you have to believe in your vision and you can't take it personally when someone doesn't see it. You just have to work a little harder. So you're one of the few <coughs> women in
0: this industry who's a developer and you're not a dynasty developer. You created yep. Heritage yourself. Do you feel a sense of responsibility for that?
1: A lot of women, specifically in commercial real estate, you know, don't have people to look up to, they don't have mentors, they don't have role models of women that, that have made it specifically as a developer. There's so many women who need to see what it's possible to achieve. Um, and I remember my first job, when I started after business school working, I was working for a venture capital fund, and it was all men and I was the only woman. And I remember thinking to myself, all the assistants, all the secretaries, all the receptionists—they're all women. I said, they look at me, and now they see that it's possible for a woman to be an analyst at a venture capital fund. And oftentimes, that's the only thing you need to need that shift. So, I do feel a sense of responsibility, of you know, showing young women that it's possible to be successful. That you know, you can play with the with the boys and still win, and you know, be true to yourself. I'll never apologize for things that happen because I'm a single mom with three kids. So yesterday I had a conference call. I had to push off by a half hour. And I, when I got on, I said, you know, I had to take my son to school and the principal wanted to talk to me and I was late and that's it. You know, when I, when I used to leave early, you know, when I'm taking my kids on vacation, I just say I'm on vacation with my family. And I think that we try to hide who we are as women in the way we dress and the way we speak in, in what we think is, is appropriate and normal. Um, and I, I think it's really about It's women accepting that it's okay to take it personally, it's okay to feel hurt, and sometimes men are brutally aggressive, but you have to learn how to deal with it. So, and and I think that, you know, part of it is that we're taught to hide. I think that being a developer would be a job that a lot of women would love. You get to be creative,
0: you get to be in charge, you get to make money. So is that a message that you kind of
1: want to put out to women to say, this is a great job? I, th- I think that you know, women need to basically, you know, it's, it starts with seeing yourself in a certain role. You need to say, OK, what are the skills needed? And, and mentally not put up all these gates and say, I didn't go to Harvard, I don't, I'm not connected, my family's not in the business, I don't have money. But I'll give you all the reasons why it shouldn't work. And now you need to think about how it can work and what you can do, and for me it was about moving in the industry when no one was interested. Buying in a neighborhood, the first time I told one of my friends in the city that I was in Brooklyn, like what Brooklyn, like you're buying in Brooklyn? And not following the herd, but finding a way to do it your own way, in spite of what the industry might think, and I I think especially, especially as a woman you know, using your intuition, using insight, using your skills. I think it starts with believing that you can and then thinking about how to go about doing it, whether it's through, you know, studying architecture, getting yourself an internship if you like design, and even going after more male, you know, male areas like engineering and, and construction.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder how much
1: um Waiting for men to make the change is is a I waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this? I think awareness is helpful, and you know, conversation around this and people thinking through creating a healthier environment for women is important. Um, but you know, outside of that, you can't wait. You got to sort of make, even if your your hand ends up bloody from knocking, you got to keep knocking at that door, and then if no one opens, just yank it open. Are you getting enough of your tea? Sorry, I feel like- oh, no, 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 no. yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's hard when you're like
0: forcing people to talk and not get the tea. Let's Have a Drink is produced and created by me, Miriam Hall. It's edited by Travis Gonzalez. BizNow's editor in chief is Mark Bonner.